When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. We're going to hit you a grand slam today. Uh, so, no, obviously we're here to talk Cubs. That's fresh on the mind, Nico Horner. Um, just the grooviest meatball in the history of pitches from old friend Corey Abbott. Uh, I won't say he did that on purpose, but uh, boy, he couldn't have served that one up any better. But to Nico Horner's credit, uh, despite some recent slumping, he, I mean, hit that ball perfectly. That was the most pure and perfect and beautiful swing and lift of a ball uh, that I can remember seeing in recent memory. It was just gorgeous. Grand Slam, Cubs beat the Nationals. That was Wednesday night's game, which followed, of course, the 17-3 drubbing the night before, uh, where the Cubs' bats just wouldn't stop hitting late in the game. And that, in turn, followed the series' opening loss. Uh, So, on the whole, we said this in the last episode. I sort of joked as we were signing off that, you know, oh, maybe the Cubs will do this. Maybe they'll do this. And I joked, no, no, they'll do exactly as much as they need to do to keep us talking, but nothing more. And that is, I think, exactly what happened. <laughs> they, you know, had they lost that series, I think you guys may agree, the math starts to get real tough. The sort of belief in this team as a potential buyer gets real tough, et cetera, et cetera. If they had swept the Nationals, then, you know, I'm not saying that that alone answers the, the question of the buy-sell, but it sort of definitely sh- it leaves you in a slightly different place, I think, than we are today, which is, okay, they did the bare minimum to to sort of, in my mind, buy another series. It's like, okay, I can go into this Cardinal series thinking, yeah, it's still conceivable, um, but not necessarily more than that. That's kind of my 10,000-foot view of that series. Yeah, well, um, I would like to take credit for the, the key players over the last two games finally starting to hit and Ian Happ. Yeah, you crapped all Sis, over all Suzuki, of them. Nico no, Horner. <laughs> I, I made sure to, I, I wasn't, I was going to hold off on that piece and I was like, you know what? Who knows when they'll start hitting? I am going to point out that these guys are not hitting <laughs> at the most critical time of the year and since then they've had 13 hits, the three of them. Uh, so that's that's all me. Uh, I motivated them and and got them to get going. It's on the bulletin board. Yeah. <laughs> There's a dartboard with Sahadev's face. Right, the, uh, right. Well, room. and I didn't uh, like uh, my my point was you know these guys aren't performing, which was real, right? And you have to like that's not only is that bad now, but <laughs> if they if those guys aren't hitting, if those guys if if you go back and look at their numbers and say. 2022's their peak seasons. <laughs> like that's that's a terrible situation for the Cubs going forward, right? I didn't actually believe that. It was just the type of situation where it's like, man, if these guys don't get going, if these guys 
Like, if this is who they are or close to who they are, then this is not a good situation for the Cubs, not only in 2023, but how do they win going forward? Um, I, I think they're much closer to uh, 2022, if not better, uh, in the long run, but I don't think we have those questions answered. Uh, yeah, I, I came away from this these since we last talked with we're we're in a very similar situation. It's funny how one win would change it, right? Uh, one win gets them to forty six and forty nine. Is that right? And for some reason, that feels significantly different. I don't know why, but it does. It does. Uh, like just like this, this hovering around four, six, seven games under five hundred. Uh, like you get to like three, two, one. Once you start cl- like getting to that area, it just it does feel different. Um. I I have this you know feeling that the Cardinals are going to be the Cardinals this weekend and maybe we'll we'll be talking about you know finally being able to comfortably say they're sellers on Monday. Uh maybe they prove me wrong. Uh they have the pitching advantage obviously. Everyone probably has the pitching advantage going into a Cardinals series. Uh it's, a, it's like a, not to derail this, but I found it very interesting that John Mazeliak discovered that strikeouts are good uh the over the past three months that's that's interesting uh <laughs> they didn't consider this Sahadev <laughs> is referencing some comments from cardinals president john mazalek who in tandem with talking about the cardinals selling at the deadline they're going to be looking for pitching and pitching he explicitly said you know they had that their philosophy was balls in play to take advantage of good defense and that the lack of shifts now at the big league level has caused them to rethink that that maybe getting more strikeouts is a good idea. It was a shocking comment um, for so many reasons from an organization that historically we think of as so good on the player development side, player identification and player development side. Um, you know, it's not like the the shift stuff caught anybody off guard. Right. And it's also not like making that change now. The lead time on that is several years. So I, I don't know how that's going to play. But yes, that was a, that's a good note. Well, and just the idea that, I mean, Jed was very deliberate about how they treated that this offseason. There's a reason they went and got Dansby Swanson and wanted to put Nico Horner at second base. They they knew that that they could have a really good defense in that fashion and not rely on shifts. While a lot of the Cardinals' elite defense has been based off shifts, uh, I mean, Jed Hoyer wants more swing and miss, but he also knows you have to pay a lot of money for that. So he went and got the defense first, and he can go hopefully go find swing and miss. That's the story for another day, but I just, like, it it kind of <laughs> kind of threw me for a loop when when I read that quote. Like, what are we talking about here? How How is that the conclusion that you finally got? Uh, it took you that long to come to this conclusion. I, you know, maybe it's just him speaking out loud, thinking out loud, and and you know they they've realized this for a while. They just didn't attack the off season properly. Uh, but yes, I I don't. I think it it would be an extra gut punch for Cubs fans if it's the Cardinals and White Sox that kind of push them into sell mode uh, officially. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying absolutely that would happen, but it just feels like this season has been up, down, up, down, gut punch. 
uh, right when you think they're they're back uh, to where they need to be. So uh, the Cardinals did start the original free fall after that 11-2 and run, and Cubs fans have to hope that they don't get the sell started here. That that would be classic you to have the Cardinals and White Sox push them into sell. And then you know what's going to happen. Those players you referenced, Sahadev, are all going to get hot in like September. And their numbers are going to look pretty good in the end. And the Cubs are going to talk themselves into, hey, look at the way we finished. And, you know, <laughs> um, and I, I think your column the other day was just absolutely spot on because I think that's a big reason why. There is this frustration. Like, why you know, these are your guys. These are guys you bet on. This is no longer talking about, you know, well, you know, Scott Boris was always gonna take KB to free agency. Like, no, these are your guys. These are who you picked. And, you know, I every deal made sense. These are all good players, good citizens. Like, you know, it's not not crushing them, but like there hasn't been enough there. At all. And it was really interesting now that Seiya gets a couple hits and, when you know, people are a little more willing to talk or, you know, he was kind of cornered at his locker yesterday. And, you know, this has been, you know, there, we're in year two of a contract that costs about $100 million. And they're still trying to figure out the right routine for him. And they're still wondering if he's, you know, you know, working too hard or too long. This is someone who routinely after games will be in there, you know, working on a swing, hundreds and hundreds of reps. And does that make sense over the course of 162? And, you know, does he, you know, he's a great preparer, you know, wants to know what that night's starting pitcher is doing and like doing specific drills for that. But, you know, David Ross said it yesterday and Dustin Kelly echoed it when I spoke to him after batting practice. Like sometimes you got to like, know what your strengths are and trust them. Like that's why they gave him all that money without a single major league at bat. And like, if you're still trying to like figure out your routine during the most important time of the year in the second year of a contract where you already had kind of a training wheel season, like it's not a great reflection of where the Cubs are right now. You know, when we talk about this, this group and I, I would include Dansby Swanson in this group for purposes of this conversation where you're talking about Zaya, Nico, Ian Happ, Dansby Swanson, you know, the, the four position players that the Cubs chose to line up together for, for many years. No one's using the word like core anymore. That's kind of passe, but, but it's sort of, those are your, your building blocks on offense, right? For, for this year and years ahead. And I think when I think about them, particularly as, you know, the Cubs are about to face the Cardinals I'm reminded of, do you remember the old debates that people would have about the, do you want a lineup of, uh, you know, seven to nine guys who are ab- above average, but not more than that? Or do you want a stars and scrubs lineup of like three superstars and, you know, six, whatever you can fill with? You know, we have seen over the last 15, 20 years, the Cardinals have had many, many iterations of the stars and scrubs part and some of their best years were when they had like two or three or four superstars at the plate. Uh, and then, you know, they mixed and matched and filled in where they could. And uh, now they obviously, uh, similarly, I would argue, uh, have Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, you know, 
those are two, I think, superstars, but who aren't carrying the day for this team. Um, a lot of other underperformance, particularly on the pitching side. And you've got this Cubs team that is more successful than the Cardinals this year, but I'm not so sure it's on the strength of an offense that's, um, I think overall, it still tracks right around average uh, in baseball. And their lineup is composed of a number of slightly above average guys. This this group of four in particular are all kind of, that's kind of who they are, uh, slightly above average. You hope for more, you wish for more. Um, they haven't quite shown that. And then they really only have one guy who this year has, has produced at a sort of next level. And it's the one guy who's won an MVP before in his career. And he's also the guy who's likely leaving either in a week or uh, in a few months. And I, I just think about where are those superstar bats coming from? And because for as much as I love PCA, which I do, I don't know that he's that type either. I think he's going to contribute in a lot of other ways and be an overall extremely valuable player for the Cubs either next year and or beyond. But I, I don't I don't know. And it seems like, you know, we're getting a little far afield from this season, but it does feel like it's become crystallized that that's maybe what the Cubs are missing on offense. And I'm not the first to say this. <laughs> a lot of people have been saying this. It just feels like they're missing one or two guys in the lineup who are the uh, crap. I don't want to face that guy with a couple on base. You know, it just, instead it's like, okay, here comes the batter who's pretty good. We're going to have to game plan for him. We might be able to, he might be in a little bit of a slump right now. And the off season ain't going to be providing, you know, unless you sign Shohei Otani, that, that bat is not out there this off season. So I don't know. I, it, I guess that to circle back then Cubs kind of needed and or need looking forward. One of these four guys to like really take a next step offensively. It probably has to be Saya, but we just, we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I was going to say, I think Saya. I still believe he has the tools. I'm uh, like, if you would have asked me entering the season, uh, between entering the season and now how like my confidence that he can get there has dropped. Yes, it, it certainly has. I would say Bellinger is that guy or has been that guy this season. So current iteration of the Cubs, you need one more of those guys. Once Bellinger is gone, you need two more of those guys, right? So you need either say it a step up and you add one or you need two more, right? From outside the org. I mean, I feel like I've been hammering this for uh, about a year now. I don't know where that bet comes from, especially now that Machado endeavors have extended. I don't know where that bet comes from. I have no clue. Uh, I'm not sure there is a clear answer. Uh, you can say you have to you have to hope uh, the Padres or Mets get really aggressive with cells and someone like Juan Soto or Pete Alonso becomes uh, available via trade. Uh, otherwise, you have to wait till those guys hit free agency, which is not this coming winter, but a year, uh, you know, a year and a half from now. Uh, it's it, I you know, I think it's one of the pressing questions for the front office. I'm not sure if it's their only focus, but it's it's a focus. And and, you know, they have to I think they have to think creatively um, and and it's, it may have to be the type of thing where you put together a lineup uh like the rays where you don't see a obvious superstar uh but some of those guys play like them um maybe you have to put together i mean the giants i don't i like i honestly i haven't looked at their numbers so i don't even know how they're doing it 
but the Giants, <laughs> the Giants seem to uh, put together a really good offense after a down year last year. For two of the last three years, we kind of look at their team and like, how are they doing this? How is this working? I don't think that's replicable. I don't think that's uh, you know you you have to. I'm not I'm not sure if it is, but ultimately, I think underperformance is the biggest issue right now of those big players. Uh, one thing I did find interesting and and this has a you know, I think we we underrate consistency, right? When, when we look at overall numbers, because I, I was looking at Patrick Wisdom. He has a 109 weighted runs created plus, right? And obviously he gets to that production in a weird way, but not only does he get to it in a weird way, it's with highs, extreme highs and extreme lows. But here are some players that are at 109 or below. Uh, Wilson Contreras is at 110. Austin Riley is at 110. Alex Bregman is at 109. Uh, And then Anthony Rizzo is at 104. All right, we're just talking offensive production here. Those are a bunch of guys that if if I mentioned them, you'd say I'd take that player over Patrick Wisdom in a second, right? You wouldn't think twice about it. Uh, uh, I guess maybe if you watched Alex Bregman a lot, you'd realize that he's wholly a production of Minute Maid Park, but uh, offensively. <laughs> but <laughs> and, and I could say similarly for Anthony Rizzo in Yankee Stadium. Uh, those guys are in the perfect parks for their how their offense works right now. But uh, my point is most people would take all those players over. I think, Zan- did I mention Xander Bogarts? He was in that group too. Xander Bogarts is at 107. So it's just, it's a, that kind of struck me after Patrick Wisdom got insanely hot recently where we we kind of jump on I was ready I was ready to say does Patrick Wisdom need to be DFA'd and now <laughs> they probably aren't winning you know they they're probably we're probably already on the like definite sellers for the Cubs uh wagon right now if if he had been DFA'd right it's just I, I mean well, especially after Madrigal's injury. right right I mean, absolutely uh, yeah. so it, it's a it, you know, I think sometimes uh, where how you get offense and how how consistently you get offense needs to be factored in too. Uh, I, I just thought I it just it just struck me with wisdom. I I don't know what type of player he is going forward. I I think we I guess we know what he is. He, he's kind of shown us what he is, but it it was it was interesting to me that his numbers are that good overall, and you're just like. Man, he crushed them by not by like j- disappearing for a month and a half, two months, uh, and I guess you could say that about Ian Happ and and say a Suzuki too. They they didn't hit those types of lows, but but they certainly weren't uh, producing at a high level for uh, May and June. I think you're onto something when you mention the Rays. I mean, Ken Rosenthal earlier this year had a nice. I don't know if it's an extended note or a full story, but just on the Rays and some of the improvements that their young players made. I think even our guy Harold Ramirez was was thrown in there. Uh, X Cub is he technically an X Cub? He never showed up Cubs, for spring training. Cubs legend, yeah. but uh, <laughs> I mean, he was he's on, on the roster. But maybe ever went to. But you know, I think you know you can. We're going to fixate on the big bad, and they're definitely going to talk about it, and like we should, you know, hammer them for that. But you, we also know how they think and that there are different ways to skin a cat, I think, is the, one of Carter Hawkins' pet phrases. And, you know, if you had someone like Jamer Candelario 
Um, and if you, if Trey Mancini was anywhere close to what you thought he would be or has been early in his career, like you can live with some of this other stuff. And I think, again, that's where the frustration comes in of like, there's just been a lot of either misevaluations or just like really bad timing on like when your most talented players simply have not been performing. And, you know, it's hard for me to read sometimes because there are so many more areas in the Wrigley Field clubhouse now where players can just kind of hide out and vent and hang out. And I don't know how all of this looks if you're watching Marquis post game, but the Cubs talking about their process at the most important time of the year is just like mind blowing to me. Like when we walk in there, there's not a whole lot of like edginess when like the season's on the line and we hear guys saying, well, we got a good team. We just have to stick with the process. Like, no, there is no process. There is today's game, tomorrow's game. And maybe you can make the next series relevant. And that that is just a weird thing that I don't want to um, maybe overthink or, or blow out of proportion because I think deep down this Cubs team is just not talented enough to be a legitimate playoff contender. But it's it's just kind of a, a, a different mix. I mean, when Sahadev and I were talking about this, you know, when you walked in there in 18 and 19, like you could – feel some of that of just like you know or even on zooms in 2020 you could just feel uh sorry in 2021 and uh, we got to talk to players on the field at that point like they knew what was at stake and it really um weighed on them and you know ultimately distracted them but uh this team i just don't have a great handle on in terms of they're all um you know by and large really good guys hard workers um, good preparers, but, uh, you know, when it's late July here and, and you're talking about your process, like no one really cares. They, they want, everyone wants to see results. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, and I wonder if that's a bit of top-down messaging in an organization that prides itself on waiting as long as possible before making any decisions. What was the what was Carter's thing that irreversible high uh, leverage irreversible decisions or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they don't <laughs> want to make any high leverage irreversible decisions until they absolutely have to. And if you if you do have that philosophy, 
and I'm not saying this is like a PowerPoint that they put together for the players, but like these things do trickle down from, you know, this guy to this guy, to David Ross, to the coaching staff, to that. I just wonder if, if their philosophy is, don't worry guys, we're not doing anything until we absolutely have to. You could envision a world where the messaging to the players is, no, you do have to stick just to your season long process because, you know, maybe organizationally they have the philosophy that um, that's going to produce the best day to day results is if is if the players are just in their nonsensical, uh, it'll all even out kind of attitude that players have. You know, I'm going to grind I'm gonna do my work. I'm going to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just I wonder, because on the one hand, like you said, Mooney, it is sometimes jarring to not get that sense from them. You know, um, Kyle Hendricks was talking, I saw some of his uh, comments to the media after last night's game, and, and he's as thoughtful as they come, and he he knows the situation. And he's like, but, you know, when we're in the clubhouse and we're talking, uh, it's just about that day's game. It's just we got to get And I'm, a, I'm excluding Kyle Hendricks from that. That dude can say whatever he wants, whenever he wants, because he posts, he performs, and he has a World Series ring. And he's like an absolute yes. unicorn in terms of like how he's able to focus from one pitch to the next. Like that is why he is good. There are just there's just a lot, and I think this is something that they've conveyed to Saya of like, you know, your process isn't working the way it should be. So you have to compete in the box that night with what you've got and understand the situation. And you know, I think it was helpful earlier in the year. And, you know, we've talked about this before and Sahad has written it of like, OK, we need some grownups in the room so things don't spin out of control like the first four game losing streak in May. But you also have to kind of adapt and adjust to the circumstances. And, you know, clearly, I mean, that Red Sox series did not look like a team that was like locked in, ready to just dominate. Uh, and I, I think that's a question that this front office and this coaching staff is is going to ponder of just kind of the mix. And again, I don't think we should get too sidetracked. That seemed to be a thing, you know, kind of the late Theo era of, you know, you know, Joe Madden's touch in the clubhouse and these guys, you know, kind of the vibes and, you know, um, I'm not saying that, but it's hard to like watch this and not wonder like, is this like mix really working when you see uh, how the pieces just haven't, you know, the, the, some, Whatever the whatever the Brewers are doing, the Cubs do the opposite. You know, the sum whole parts. I can't. I always have trouble with that phrase, but like, you know. Uh, so I don't know why I'm bringing it up on a podcast, but it's not there. It's you know, it just doesn't. It doesn't add up. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Brewers because I was just um, earlier this morning at Bleacher Nation. I was writing a, a reset. You know, of the next ten days, what's the schedule look like for the Cubs, for the Brewers and Reds? Where do things stand? What really? you know, what realistically needs to happen for, for the Cubs to avoid a sell-off. And in part of that, look, I, I, I made the mistake, and I say that from an emotional perspective, I made the mistake of looking at base runs at fan graphs, which is this Don't, complex doing this mathematical calculation. <laughs> um, it's, it's what your record should be in a context-neutral environment. If you take all the individual player performances and they go in an algorithm and it's sort of like, here's what your record should be if if everything played out based on your own numbers. It's real data from the, from the teams. Um, here's what you should be, right? Well, the Cubs, other than the Royals, are the most underperforming team in baseball. They've, they're seven games off of their base runs record. They should actually have the eighth best record in baseball. 
uh, if they had a win and loss record that actually reflected their underlying performance. Okay, eighth best. The Brewers, by contrast, have the second best uh, overperformance. And so, you know, if, if base runs were the standings, the Cubs would be like 10 games ahead of the Brewers. That's how much better the Cubs, quote, have performed than the Brewers this year. And yet the Brewers have locked in. They're 10 games over 500. The Cubs are five games below 500. And this is not a, I'm speaking anecdotally here, so I'm sure someone will go back and fact check me, but like, this does not feel like a recent one-off one-year development. It feels like every year when I look at this thing, the Brewers specifically overperform the, their underlying metrics and the Cubs rarely overperform theirs. And I, I know where people's heads will go. I know what they will attribute it to. I don't know. I really don't know what if it's just over a long enough horizon, you're going to have fluky stretches of five, six, seven years in a row. But like, it feels like the Brewers have some shit figured out on how to turn performance into wins. Just It just feels like they have something figured out. Yeah, I mean, this was something that, uh, you know, uh, Theo would would go on rants about, uh, you know, as, uh, as early as 2018, I want to say. Uh, I, I think that's when it really started, where we started to see, like, how what are the Brewers doing? They don't look that good. They're not that good of a team. Like, where's all this? Where are all these wins coming from? And and they continually performed better than the talent on paper seemed to suggest. Uh, you know, it it, it was it, remember all the talk we talks we've had about that last uh, group of Cubs and why isn't this offense better? Why don't they perform better? Look at all the talent here. I mean, we've had some answers. I think we've, we've dug in. We have some under a better understanding of these things. Uh, I think, I think the answers to the Cubs' problems aren't too complicated. Uh, we we just talked about it in this podcast. I do think like a superstar bat and like a more stable bullpen uh, really helps this team significantly. Uh, Yes, I do think there's some randomness and bad luck it baked into the under five, five under five hundred uh, record, uh, but they're not a ten game. I don't think they're a ten game, ten games over five hundred team. Uh, I also, <laughs> uh, there's. I'm not going to call this person out because I don't want to talk about their family <laughs> on the it. podcast. Oh, but <laughs> but there's a there's a there's another beat writer who's. Uh, who has a family member that gets so angry about the run differential thing uh, because a, a lot of it was came from the Oakland series, right? Uh, my counter to that is, well, if you eliminate the Oakland series, you're, you're still not an eight game under 500 team, right? Even if you take that plus whatever, 23 out uh, still uh, for me, I, I, I take some pleasure in this. <laughs> in some some uh i don't know like so like a little uh like poking the bear pleasure in the sense that jed keeps talking about they don't fly flags for run differential i kind of want to like have a flag made if they if they end with (laughs) with a positive run differential like i want them to be the run differential nl central champs uh we have a flag hang it from the press box and that's there's a ceremony and everything because, I mean, we, we've talked about this for a while now. Um, I Listen, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Brett. Um, I write it. Oh, and just, I say it. Just to be crystal yeah. just to be crystal clear, base runs, 
not right, 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 right. Very different calculations. Right, they're actually way better by base runs. Than yes, agreed. I agree with all of this. Listen, I I think the Cubs are better than their record. Ultimately, it just doesn't matter, and I and I grow tired of hearing myself say it. Well, I type it out, and I'm like, I'm just doing this because I there's some part of me that believes it, but who cares? It doesn't matter. The only way you can, especially right yeah, now, the only thing you can say it matters is. When you're looking at maybe next year, or if you can, if you want to, cl- if you want to be that person that's clinging to hope still for this year, right? There's there's two ways to look at it: cling to hope for this year, and also will there the people that want to your counter to the people that want to say they're not close, they're they're multiple years away from contending, let alone winning a World Series. That's fine. Like you can, those people can believe that, but. I think there's enough talent here to get if you bring in the right pieces. And then it just comes back to the previous conversation of how the hell do you get those pieces? <laughs> you better have you better have a plan here in place to get those pieces. Otherwise, all this talk really doesn't matter. I was uh, the athletic had a good story on like the origins of first take and like Stephen A and Skip Bayless. And I believe it was Stephen A who just when he got tired of Skip or he, one of his bits, he would just start reading a newspaper on the set. And when <laughs> Brett started talking about base runs, I was looking for a newspaper so I could just do that, which would not be a good bit for a podcast. But I... Now, Patrick, <laughs> you know I care about run differential. But you you saved it, though. Like, you, you started at this place of looking at base runs, but then you're just like... Giving the Brewers props, I think, is just something that has to be done. And, you know, like Sahadev said, we're going back to 2018 when they, you know, the Cubs would say, well, we didn't collapse. The Brewers just got crazy hot. And there was something to that. I mean, the Cubs, I believe, had a winning record that September or roughly, you know, they didn't go in the tank. But the the Brewers do uh, find ways to win. And I, I don't think it's all on the manager. I don't think it's all on the player personnel. I don't think it's all in the front office, but like they find those smaller edges and it's, you know, in, in some ways they don't certainly don't have the payroll uh, of the Cubs, but in their market where they play, there's probably like, you know, some advantages to that too. Not necessarily in terms of resources, but you know, they're, aren't those huge swings or, or the same exact types of pressure. And, you know, again, I want to go too far down the like culture rabbit hole, but you know, this season, unless they do get crazy hot here in the next 10 days, I, I think, you know, Jed and Carter and David Ross and his staff are going to be looking under the hood at all of that stuff. I think everything is going to have to be on the table because as Brett, you put it, uh, the other day of like this team was not designed to sell like the explicit goal was playing meaningful games in September, which sounds kind of uh, laughable if you think about it too hard. But everyone mostly understood the point. I mean, that's kind of what Tucker Barnhart said when he signed here of, you know, you 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 don't sign a Dansby Swanson to that type of contract thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to trade Marcus Stroman and Cody Bellinger in July. 
Um, and if they can't clear that very low bar, there's going to be a lot of difficult questions and awkward conversations uh, at Wrigley Field. So then, um, speaking of the Cubs and Brewers contrast, it's going to come to light again over these next 10 days because while the Cubs are playing the Cardinals for eight and the White Sox for two, I mean, that's you're not going to get a friendlier stretch of 10 games at the most critical time of your year, the time of your year. Whereas the Brewers are playing the Braves for six and the Reds for three. So this is the time, you know, if you're going to try to shrink that gap, it's, it's, it's now or it's never, which it was already going to be now or never. So maybe in some sort of cosmic way, this is perfect. Uh, but to circle it back to the very top of the pod, it is, in a way, very unfortunate that right before the trade deadline, the Cubs have eight games against the Cardinals and two against the White Sox. So if the Cubs end up selling, it's basically guaranteed that it was because the Cardinals <laughs> beat the Cubs. Uh, so, yeah, I will look forward to resting in that for the rest of the season. But hopefully I won't have to. Hopefully it'll be the other thing, which is, man, the Cubs were so close to selling. And then they just like, can you believe they swept the Cardinals twice in four games? That was crazy. Uh, I would love to. Oh, oh, I would love to do that. So like, I'm, I'm going to get ba- you the flag. Base- all right. You can wrap yourself <laughs> in the yeah. base runs flag. I will. <laughs> That's how you comfort this yourself. This has been base runs. Uh, on to base runs. Uh, brought to you by no. Uh, but seriously, kudos to Fangrass on that calculation because it does. In in most years, what it's useful for is just a quick check on like, uh, oh, are they? You know, how are they performing in the win and loss column relative to their actual performance? This year, it's mostly just been a knife twist of having to, like Sahadev said, remind yourself. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. It, it might be annoying. It might be It might be real. It might not be real, but it doesn't matter because the Cubs are where they are. And uh, we are where we are. That's Ant Waveland, Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. We will be back at you after this weekend. And uh, I think three and one. If the Cubs take three and one, that's the equivalent of, of winning this national series. It keeps them afloat. I think a split is not enough. I think a series lost to the Cardinals, and that's definitely that. So that's that's kind of my personal barometer for this weekend. So we'll see how it goes, and we'll talk to you on Monday. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.